Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. It is Thursday. It's July. It's 19th. July, the 19th of July. Um, and Kawhi Leonard, Andy, has been traded. Not to the Lakers, but to a destination a lot of Lakers fans are, are pretty comfortable with. But what happens now with Kawhi? What does it mean that he's in Toronto? Uh, how likely is it that the Raptors could hold on to him? Uh, to discuss all of that and more, we are welcoming onto the show Eric Corrine. Uh, he is the writer who covers uh, the Raptors for The Athletic. Um, which makes him a colleague of ours. Yes, he is. Very exciting. You should subscribe to read Eric's work as well as the reasons you should be subscribing to read ours as well. It's all part of that subscription. Um, And and even though he's writing in Canadian, it's still easy to read. Um, They translate. There's all sorts of rogue OU stuff. No, my my favorite, Eric, are the rogue Cs where Ss should go. Oh, we call them just correct, though. <laughs> correct. Uh, you, you're going to blow a lot of American minds like new subscribers when they see how you guys spell that whole center thing. Oh, listen, most of the world world spells it like that. You guys are the weird ones. Yeah, but I, we're America, Eric. I, I find it. I find it classy, actually, the way with the re. It actually like, is a lot classier. Gives, gives it a little bit of flair. Um, Eric, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. So, um, you've written a lot about. Um, the trade and seem to like it from uh, from Toronto's perspective, which I agree with you. I think it makes a lot of sense. But obviously in L.A., we're most concerned about whether or not Kawhi is going to like it there. So I, w- I want to start here. How how serious do you think the initial some of the initial uh, reporting that that Leonard really has no interest in going up to Toronto and playing there? How serious do you think that is? Uh, well, it's coming from credible people, so I tend to believe it. Uh, reports today suggest he's warming to the idea and is uh, getting ready to play the season out. And I think the Raptors made the trade knowing that he wasn't particularly enthused about coming to Toronto, that his list is rather short if it's more than one or two teams at all. Uh, and they're taking the calculated risk uh, because it's just not often that true superstars come become available. The Raptors don't have a history uh, like the Lakers of attracting free agent talent. They can't assume they're going to be able to do that. So Masai Ujiri really believes in, in what he and uh, his staff have built in Toronto, the fan base, uh, and... He also believes in his ability to sell. He is, uh, he's not going to go down without a fight in a lot of words. He's a, he's a really compelling presence in a room. Uh, and he's, you know, had a, we've heard reports, uh, and stories, not even reports of him challenging DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry in the early days of, uh, Masai being the president and GM here. And I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a similar tact with uh, Kawhi Leonard. I don't think this is going to be a 100% coddling Kawhi, please love us type thing. It's going to be, uh, I, I mean, they're going to do what they can to show him their love, but they're also going to remind him that he's a guy who's been away from the league for a year. He's didn't, you know, his reputation suffered uh, a few uh, you know, it took a few hits based on how things with San Antonio played out. And uh, I'm sure Masai will sort of remind him that he, you know, should want for any goal that he has to reestablish himself as one of the three or four best players in the game. How empowered do you think the Raptors were by Paul George staying in OKC as far as making this deal? And, and how similar do you find the comparison? I think it's a factor. Uh, I don't think it's the biggest factor, but... To have a template out there uh, of how something can work is a very, you know, it's a nice thing to be able to lean on and say, well, this just isn't a complete Hail Mary. If if we do things correctly, uh, we can make the situation really inviting for him. Uh, and, you know, on the Raptors' end, they could probably sell a higher possible ceiling for this year, uh, whereas the Thunder were realistically capped out as maybe a conference final team last last season. The Raptors can go to Kawhi Leonard and say, 
look, we think we're right there with the Celtics to be the best team in the East. Um, beyond that, I mean, I know the broad strokes are similar because they're both Southern California guys. Both said they want to go to the Lakers uh, and were trying to force their way there uh, via trade and, and you know, back channels, uh, discussions with uh, the powers that be in those franchises. But they're different people. Uh, Paul George is a lot more outgoing. He seems a lot more open uh, to things. And he was going to a place with a true superstar in Russell Westbrook. Uh, not a glamour market by any means, but he knows he's not going to have to carry the load every night. And he has, uh, you know, he can take some nights off on offense. And it's a very complimentary situation for his game as he hits his 30s. We don't know what Kawhi Leonard wants. You know, the reports are he wants to end up with the Lakers, but then there are some people saying he doesn't want to play next to LeBron James and, and be second fiddle. Uh, maybe it's L.A. or bust, whether it's the Lakers or Clippers, but the Raptors have, you know, 10, 11, you know, 11 and a half months, give or take, to convince him that this is a great place for him. Uh, and they should have a number of things, uh, you know, if, if things go well this year, they'll have a compelling pitch to make. So, Eric, you said a couple things in that answer that I, th- I think are, are interesting and, and relevant, um, you know, for, for what's going on down here. The first one is just how good the Raptors can be, because if if a team goes to the finals, for example, it's much harder to walk away from that. You know, you, you know it's possible, but it's harder. And, Somebody just did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, sometimes it's easy. I know, it's a very <laughs> right. special situation, um, you know. The exception that proves the rule, but it's a good point. Um, how how much how big of a threat do you think the uh, the the Raptors are to the Celtics? You know, who are I think considered the best team in the conference when Kyrie is healthy, when Hayward's healthy. But keeping in mind that you know the Raptors with DeRozan last year won basically sixty games, and Leonard, if he's healthy, is a massive upgrade. Look, I think the Celtics have to go into the season as the favorite. Uh, you get development years for Brown and Tatum. You get the full health, you hope, of Kawhi. There's, I, I said this, I've called Kyrie Irving Kawhi Leonard multiple that times as, uh, in these last two days. Things are going great. <laughs> I love Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. That And you have, obviously, the sustained, under-the-radar, maybe not so much under-the-radar excellence of uh, Al Horford. That's an awesome five to go along with some really intriguing young depth. They brought back Marcus Smart today, you know, the best coach in the league, arguably. I think they're your favorites. But if you look at what the Raptors can do, especially defensively, they present a number of problems. You know, you've got the Raptors didn't have to give up their two best prospects or, or highest ceiling prospects uh, in Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, who might not be, you know, household league-wide names, but they're really capable defensive players who, in some cases, you know, this John, Pascal Siakam guarded John Wall in game six of their series with Washington last last year and basically shut him down. So he can guard one through four and a lot of fives with the way the NBA is going. Uh, OG, I don't know, he doesn't have quite his his uh, length, uh, so maybe he's slightly more limited, limited, but he's still an incredibly versatile defender. You have Kawhi, who can obviously, there's nobody on earth if he's healthy, you'd rather put on a superstar scorer. And beyond that, you have Kyle Lowry and, and Fred Van Vliet, who punch above their weight class defensively. DeLon Wright is super long. Uh, if Serge Ibaka is playing center, all of a sudden he's better suited uh, to playing new-style NBA defense than he is when he's trying to roam around covering uh, stretch fours and shooters. This team's defense, and I didn't even mention Danny Green, so this team's defensive talent is, is sort of off the charts right now. And their offense, you know, after going through the shift last year, uh, was third or fourth ranked, and you, I mean, losing to Margot Rosen's playmaking will hurt a bit. But you're getting Kawhi Leonard back, who's pretty damn good. And, and the other, the other half of that, and this is the you know the, the competitive part. I think you nailed the other half of it, though, is 
the the culture stuff, the the things around you know with the fans, or whatever. Because that's a lot of what got to George is the atmosphere in Oklahoma City, the way he felt welcome, the way the fans responded, uh, the way that Sam Presti sold him on what they what they wanted from him. How well do you think the Raptors and Toronto will kind of show out in those areas? You, the North, can be loud, Eric. You guys are insane. Yeah. Like people think Oklahoma City's got crazy fans, and they, they do. do. Um, but I mean, damn if you if you guys up there aren't really really into your basketball team. Yeah, I mean, I haven't looked at the weather forecast for the winter yet, so <laughs> cold. <laughs> that remains to be seen. I should point out that Toronto is not the coldest city in the NBA. Milwaukee and Minnesota and Minneapolis are both colder on, on average in the winter. Right, and Kawhi's just not going there either. <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, bust assumptions. With yeah, that ought to do it. <laughs> uh, we the third coldest. Um, <laughs> but uh, to, to answer your question more directly, the fans are great right now. A large segment of them are, you know, still in shock from what happened. This isn't like a, I can't believe we got... Kawhi Leonard type moment. Uh, even though a lot of people see the basketball side of things, it's also you're trading the first star who has ever really committed to you long term for somebody who, while his game might be, uh, you know, a notch or two better than DeRozan's, the first reaction is, well, maybe he doesn't want to be here at all. So uh, for them to show Kawhi Leonard love, I think. They'll probably want to see that. I mean, they'll just want to feel like they're not being, not having their time wasted completely. And they'll, they'll want to see his game. And, you know, you don't expect Kawhi Leonard to give any rah rah speeches or, you know, or speak for noise or anything, but you want to see him engaged in, in the way that Kawhi Leonard can be engaged. And if you get that, then all of a sudden you have this huge, you know, marketing push behind you, a, a whole country you can sell your shoes to as your local base, you know, that didn't hurt Vince Carter's sales, you know, uh, when he was uh, winning slam dunk contests and the rest. Um, the ownership's paying well into the luxury tax this year. Uh, I don't think they they really want to uh, repeatedly, but a lot of contracts are coming up in 2020 anyway, so the picture is going to change on that front. Um, and they have one of the most charismatic you know, executives in the league. That's, and, and not to mention the young players, most of whom I've already mentioned. So that's a, it's a, it's, it's a good sell. Like I said, I, I mean, I, it might not compare to going to LA. Uh, and if he just wants to be closer to home or pair up with a second star, uh, and the Raptors can't ne- necessarily do that. Although I'm sure Masai Jiri is, is sort of, scouring the market for potential trades uh, that I assume will be an in-season thing versus a right-now thing. Um, but they can make a case. And from my perspective, I don't know about you guys, it seems like uh, it's a pretty decent one. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Speaking, though, of that salesmanship and, and DeMar DeRozan, how much of a potential hindrance do you think it is for the franchise to sell to sell Kawhi, who you know forced his way out of San Antonio in part over trust issues by dealing DeRozan, you know, the guy that was supposed to be like like you said, the the Raptors lifer, maybe the greatest Raptor ever, the face of We the North, and if you believe DeMar was lied to on his way out the door. It's not a good look. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't I, I and again, the keywords are if you believe DeMar, sure. I don't know DeMar DeRozan or his people to be liars. We just don't know what the conversation was, uh, and I don't want to further speculate on it. But you're not obviously starting from a place of the most trust in the world. Uh, As for it harming the franchise's uh, reputation going down the road, I mean, it was just a year ago we were talking about how ruthless Danny Ainge was in trading Isaiah Thomas. And now the Celtics are back to being one of the, if not the model franchise in the NBA. Uh, so with Kawhi Leonard, again, he's just like the most unknown, inscrutable star in the in the league. Maybe he doesn't give a crap about how they trade they treated Demar Derozan. Maybe he's reading all of this, consuming all of this, and you know has already checked out. Um, 
you know, Kyle Lowry came to Toronto and thought he'd just be passing through too. And here he is. Uh, he came in 2012 and now it's 2018 and he's still here. Funny things happen. Uh, I, I think that's sort of been the lesson of the NBA over the next, the last few years. You can't, uh, and especially when you add a, a personality as unknowable as Kawhi Leonard's, uh, I don't think we can make many assumptions. You know, we're speaking, we're speaking from our best guesses and, you know, the variables which we have more certainty about, uh, you apply them when you can. But Leonard is a complete X factor and what his interests are and what he desires. Yeah, I mean, for for all we know, Kawhi Leonard could interpret this by just saying, wow, I mean, I know what DeMar DeRozan meant to them, and they moved him just to take a chance on me. I mean, there's there's always a chance he could be flattered rather than being mistrustful about it, because as, as you said, yeah. Eric, we know nothing about the guy. You mentioned uh, Kyle Lowry, though, and I also think he's interesting in all this in the sense that, you know, he's the only you know all-star caliber player on this team and in theory he's a part of selling Kawhi but he was also extremely close to DeMar you know and Kawhi's the guy replacing DeMar and Kyle might agree that DeMar got done dirty and you know Kyle Lowry is by his own admission not the easiest guy to know and, and can be stubborn where do you think he fits into all this Kyle Lowry wants to win uh I think he would have preferred to do that with Tamar DeRozan, and if there was some way they could get Kyrie, uh, doing it again, <laughs> um, uh, along uh, while keeping DeRozan, that would have been preferable to him. Uh, but you know, he's 32 now, and I think he knows he's on the back nine of his career, and you know, he's always been. I think whereas DeMar DeRozan has talked about loyalty and having love for the city uh, and, uh, you know, he has loyalty tattooed on his hand. Uh, It's, you know, sort of the guiding principle of his life. Uh, Kyle Lowry is sort of by nature, uh, he's, he trusts, he doesn't trust easily. And he's also sort of the more pragmatic of the two. I believe he, doesn't let his heart really guide him in these sorts of decisions. So, and that's not to say he's not going to be upset by, you know, one of his best friends leaving. Of course he is. Uh, but when uh, he's also, you know, one of the best basketball minds I've come across in terms of players. And he's, you know, all that defensive stuff we talked about earlier, he's thinking about that. If he's not thinking about it yet, he's thinking about it soon. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't think the Raptors are married to Lowry either. And if there's a path to a bigger star and a bigger trade, that could happen too. But but for now, uh, he certainly is part of it and is going to, I don't know if he, he's not really the selling type, but he's he'll be fine is, you know, right. my short way of saying all of that. Um, it's, it's, it's funny, like, you know, I think we can all agree uh, – yeah, Lowry is is that. I mean, it's guy. We've we've had a chance to really sit down with him and, and go through some stuff for other work we've done. Um, I think we can also agree that you're happy that Kawhi was not traded to the Celtics, where he would actually be a teammate of Kyrie Irving, because then you'd have Kawhi and Kyrie. Do you know something about Kyrie maybe going to the Raptors right, that the rest of us don't know? <laughs> Seems like then, it's on your mind. Like, and then then like they transfer you to to be the Boston guy, and that would be your ultimate nightmare at that point. <laughs> no comment. All right. <laughs> That would be all my sources. Right. We can't get inside the the internal politics of the athletic. Um, Eric Kareen, he covers the Raptors uh, for the athletic. You should subscribe to read his stuff. You should subscribe to read our stuff. And you should also listen to his podcast with Blake Murphy. It's called Raptors Reasonableists, uh, which, which requires no subscription whatsoever. No, that's just free. listen. He's just pra- he's practically giving that away. Um, and uh, you can find that where you find your uh, your podcasts. Eric, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Pleasure talking to you. All right. So, I mean, how does that make you feel, Andy? Um, there, he's a different guy. I mean, I, I, and I am on board with, you know, the Lakers. Certainly, if you believe like what Ramona was telling us yesterday, I was sitting with John, uh, with uh, Mason. I mean, for John, um, and she was saying like they asked for everything, everything, yes. and like it's just too much for the Lakers to give up. Um, so, if you believe that the Lakers weren't really in a position to make a trade. But overall, I'm in that camp of 
I like rolling the dice. I like the idea of seeing how the young guys work around LeBron and then figuring out which superstar is like fits best in that system with those guys rather than just taking whoever you can get. Um, it's hard to believe Kawhi wouldn't be a good fit, but if you still think there's a 65% chance you can get him through free agency, knowing you have the backstop of the other guys, I'm okay with this. But now how do you feel about the possibility of the Raptors being able to hold on to Kawhi at the end of the year. I mean, look, I, I'm never entirely comfortable with a player that you want spending time in another culture that I think is a good one. And, and the Raptors are a good culture. I mean, you know, there, there are external factors like weather and things like that, that, you know, if, if Kawhi is like me, and you know, I, I don't function in cold, Brian, I'm just, it's just not something I do well. No. Like, you know, Although it is only the third coldest city that's true. in the NBA, that's true. Thank, thank you for Eric to point that out. I mean, you know, look, and you know, an extra forty or so million dollars that the Raptors, you know, they have that economic leverage over everybody else that obviously can make a difference. But if it you're can, gonna be, but I, he already gave up the supermax, and you're. T- it's really. It sounds stupid to say this. It's really only about twenty million because the he's going to make up that fifth year with thirty million dollars somewhere else. Too. Sure, so, I, I'm just saying, like you know, the, there's there's a certain amount of economic leverage, but you know, right. if, he's if, already given up a hundred. If it was that important to him, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, that's actually up. interesting because I don't know what one thing that came through, and we've talked about this before, and Eric reminded of is nobody knows what the hell Kawhi wants because he's given up the money. But at the same time, apparently his shoe deal isn't big enough, and that's a big factor to him. There are so many mixed signals coming out from sure, Kawhi's but group. All, the one tangible thing is that he clearly decided, or had, you know, was in, was was convinced of, or whatever, that the supermax wasn't important enough to stay, to paper sure. over the problem. No, and that's that's the one tangible thing no, that I, got I, I get all that. So it's easy it's easy to believe that if he was willing to walk away from the Supermax in, in San Antonio that he will be willing to give up the guaranteed fifth year from Toronto. Certainly quite possible. I mean I I am never entirely comfortable with, you know, with a player spending time in another culture that would be good having said that, you know, I would not have moved Brandon Ingram to get him, you know, I I would have at least had to really think over Kuzma. You know, if it had been like Kuzma and two, you know, theoretically low first round picks, something Done. like that. Done. Exactly. But, you know, I would not have moved Brandon Ingram to make this happen now. You know, if you recall, I had always been more skeptical than most people that Paul George was automatically going to be a Laker. No, for sure. And, the, the risk was there. You're right. And, and I thought that the risk was, you know, was real. I am less concerned about it. With Kawhi and the Raptors, but that's also really in part because nobody knows what the hell Kawhi wants, and that makes it difficult to even like get excited or worry about one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, I will say they they are going to be if Kawhi is healthy, they're going to be good. They're going to be very good. They won fifty nine games last year with DeRozan and Lowry as their core, and a lot of other you know very switchable and interesting parts. Uh, I can't believe that Pirtle, by the way, was the one young player they had to give up. I would have. It, clearly, they just they couldn't do I'm it. Ju- I'm just I'm just saying from Toronto's perspective, they the, did the exceptionally pick, and the well. The pick protection is borderline useless. They, they did. Ex- they didn't. San Antonio didn't even get a first round. Right? No, it's going to be two second round. They did exceptionally well right. with this. And Pirtle's a good player, but like he's you know, good. But Siakam is better. Anunoby is right. I think Delon- is better. Could be. You know, it's certainly certainly Ananobi's better. Right. Um, but either way. Yes, Toronto did well, and if they if they if Kawhi walks, they're in position to to tear it down and start over anyway, which is I think the idea. Um, but I I think you know if you're a Lakers fan, knowing where he could have been traded, knowing that it could have been Philadelphia, knowing it you know anywhere but the Lakers, you know, we can't send him to Sacramento. Right. <laughs> That's just you know there's certain things you can't make happen. This is about, or Milwaukee or Minnesota right, or Minnesota, the two colder cities. This is about. As good a result as I think you you get. I mean, Philly would have been, I guess, similar, but Philly would have frightened me more just because he has the relationship with, with Brett Brown right. and you know Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are better than Kyle Lowry, who's the best player on the Raptors. Right. I would, you know, if possible, maybe you prefer you know a crappier cold city. Right. Well, I or ideally, ideally, the San Antonio just would have refused to trade him. Mm-hmm. And just and then he sits and it's really angry. Well, he's never going to sit. Right. Well, let's talk, I mean, I, 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 we don't need to go down the rabbit hole no. of this, but these reports that he's going to sit out a year in Toronto. Oh, hell no. That is never. Oh, hell no. Never. I mean, that's that's even no. dumb. that's actually dumb to float. 
Yeah, like, I mean, look, it's a, aside from it being a bad career move, it's, he's not doing that. No, I mean, <laughs> to quote Keyshawn, Keyshawn, I'm not doing that. No, I mean, actually, that, that speaks to kind of the amateur hour crew running Kawhi's career right now, because floating that is just stupid. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so that's that's we'll see how that plays out. I suspect we will talk about this more mm-hmm. between now and uh, next summer. It is intriguing, though. I mean, finally, the East actually got a good player. Is, I would say this is a great. This is great for the, the NBA. Oh yeah, because it turns it makes the East from a uh, really a two and a half team conference because Toronto would have been good. But nobody would have believed that they had a chance to to make the finals because they didn't this year, um, losing to a not great Cleveland team. Um, but now there's three legit teams out there. I mean, maybe San Antonio took this deal because Adam Silver heard him and was like, "Look, take it, right? We, we you, need it. You have the opportunity to put him in the East. You're yeah. taking this deal." Again, another rabbit hole we don't need to go into. But Indiana as a potential sleeper fourth team to be very competitive yeah. in the East, um, and it's also good for the West in the sense Milwaukee of, can never get their bleep together, right? Um, you know, Kawhi obviously playing this year would have made San Antonio better, but San Antonio remains competitive here. They won yeah. 47 games last year without Kawhi Leonard. And, and, now, and so, it's clear they did not want to rebuild. Right. And so now you put DeRozan, You can argue whether that's the right strategy or not, sure. but it's clear they didn't want but it, to. But now you add DeRozan to that lineup and without functionally without subtracting anything that they did last year. Two years ago, three years ago, sure. But based solely on last year, they should win more games with DeMar DeRozan there than nine games of Kawhi Leonard. So that pushes them back into the potential 50-win category, which is, I guess, bad news for the Lakers. But it's good for basketball, and it makes the Western Conference that much more brutal. One quick uh, note um, on the unknowability of Kawhi, and, and giving credit to where I heard this, I believe it was Chris Ryan on one of the Ringer uh, basketball podcasts. But and he was referencing Kyrie Irving specifically. But guys, winning we, we, we've heard how problematic that can be. <laughs> was he really referencing Kyrie? Irving I don't know, man. I think Eric's did he just on get something. confused? I think Eric's sitting on some info and just you know had a had some Kawhi. <laughs> <laughs> um, guys who win early in their career, like win championships early in their career, become even more of X factors when you're trying to predict their decisions. Because the idea of, well, you have to go somewhere to win. You know, I mean, guys sure. want to win more than once, but once you've at least done it, in the case of Kawhi specifically, you've been a finals MVP on right. top he of was, getting that he ring. He was the guy on yes. that team. There's no question. He did it at the expense of LeBron. Right. He doesn't have to prove himself, even the way that Kobe needed to win, right. but without Shaq. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that adds an even even more of a wild card element to trying to figure out what the hell Kawhi right. even Does wants. he want to play with LeBron? Does he not want to play with yeah. LeBron? I mean, I could, if he wants to come to L.A., I, I will tell Lakers fans, the notion that the Clippers are not a threat because of the Clippers is stupid. They absolutely are. They've got an incredibly rich owner who is wildly motivated to the point that he will build a stadium in Inglewood that I just don't see how it makes any money just because he wants his own building for his own team to play in. They might have 50 dates a year where that building is being used, and he doesn't care because he's rich enough to foot the bill. Um, And they have Jerry West, and if you're not concerned about the laundry as Kawhi Leonard, or if you don't want to be number two, or if you don't want to, if you want to be the guy who revives or whatever, that's a real option. And the Laker, Lakers, I think, will treat it as or such. Or if you're Kawhi and you want to get less attention. Yes, um, that could work. Uh, there are ways around it. The Lakers can sell him on. He'll eventually be the guy at the Lakers, but regardless. Um, let's talk a little bit about Josh Hart, because he was the Summer League MVP, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. But we saw last year with Kyle Kuzma that you know it can, it can foreshadow good things. Um, he clearly, at the very least, jumped over the bar of you want second-year guys to look like they're too good for that league. And you especially want second-year guys who were, you know, he was a four-year guy, correct? Was yeah, three, he was he four. Was four years at Villanova. Kuzma was three. Kuzma was three. He was four. Um, you want second-year guys who are significantly older than a lot of the people that are, that are they're playing against to really dominate, and Josh Hart did. I... To me, this has the potential. If he can carry this into the regular season, it's one more reason why I, I really, I'm happy the Lakers didn't give up any of these young guys now, because if Hart pans out, 
that changes the dynamic of what they might have to trade mm-hmm. uh, in a superstar trade. It changes the dynamic of of w- how much they might need to acquire. Um, all of these things. Change. The dynamic of who you trust to keep around for sure. Like you know, can you do you feel more comfortable trading Kuzma because like wow, Hart's really blossomed into a a, 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 a higher end than expected player. I don't think he's a superstar, but you understand what I mean. Um, now you have you can really start to put potentially Hart in with Lonzo Ingram, Kuzma. Um, ball. Well, I think you and I already have, have but, but the, I think but, the consensus is just growing bigger. He's right. there. He could be a guy with a significantly more value um, to where you could either use him in isolation as more of a trade chip, or you know, you don't have to. If you put in Hart, you don't have to include an extra young guy or an extra pick, whatever it might be. Um, the 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 growth of Hart from that spot, um, as cheap as he is and as cost controlled as he is for as long as he will be is a tremendous uh, potential advantage for the Lakers. Completely agree. The the thing, uh, beyond what you mentioned, and again, I totally agree, that I really liked about this experience with the Summer League and Hart is that the original plan was for him to play one game, you know, like what Brandon Ingram did last year. And, you know, Ingram was more injury Right, they they pulled him out, but he wasn't going to play that much. He wasn't going to play that much anyway. And Ingram, you know, had that one game where he destroyed the league and looked like the second-year player supposed to. And they said, all right, we've seen enough. Even more encouraging, he's still in 19 or Right, and that that was going to be the original plan for Hart. And Hart said, no, I want to play the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And it speaks to an accountability that I've always sensed in Hart, but also leadership potential. And I think Hart took responsibility with this group. It's like, look, if you're putting me out there, this is basically my group. I want to be there the whole time. And I think he saw an opportunity for him to showcase himself as, you know, the guy on a team, which, you know, he's not going to get that many opportunities to do it. And also, too, like, I, I am going to lead this group yeah, somewhere. Absolutely. I, I think when you, when you, we've made the Derek Fisher comparisons before in terms of leadership and character, uh, grit and things like that. He's more talented. Yes. I mean, he's significantly yes. more talented. He he is a 3 and D player like Fisher, except unlike Fisher, he seems like somebody who could be a reliable scorer. Right, and actually hit the three. I mean, Fish wasn't a great three-point shooter. He was he was, was a great. 3 and D was not a thing back then. Fisher like was a, like a, I think like a career 37, 38, something like that. that. Early in his career, was he good? Um, well, he remember, he had the year when he broke his foot in 2001, and he missed almost the entire year. And then he played in the playoffs and just lit it up from outside. And he sort of like proved he proved his importance through his absence. Okay. You know, if, if all it, over the day he had seasons where he was quite good. He had other seasons right. where he, but he was, was always not. He was always streaky. Fisher yes. was always streaky. But I want to I mean, say he's about thirty seven for his career. Thirty six, thirty seven and a half. Okay, very good. I and my apologies to the family of Derek Fisher for getting that wrong. Uh, he was better than I thought. Feels a little much. <laughs> Look, I hold myself to a high standard. That's true. Um, but yeah, so he's a good play. He's a good player. Um, Plus, he's yeah. got better size than Fisher. Yeah, too. for sure. He's four inches taller. Uh, the other guy that played really well is Svi. Svi McKinley. Yes, he did. And I, I, it's too. Now he's a guy. Wagner looked good. At Wagner, Wagner until he got yeah, hurt. Until he got hurt. I mean, and. and Wagner is, I think, easier to kind of slot into. Like he's, not, I don't think the league will allow him to be a thirty-five minute a night play. It's just not how the world works anymore. But it clearly looks like he he can play. And Svi, though, is a little more intriguing because if he can guard two or three positions capably, not lockdown, but Hell, capably, I'd say competently. Um, yeah, either one. Um, I don't know. I don't just don't know. be a sieve. I don't know where the playing time comes from exactly based on who's there now, but it's not hard to because inv- he's dude can shoot. Yes, he can. And he, I mean, like in a way that nobody else on this roster can shoot. Um, and it's certainly not beyond the realm of possibility to me that as the season goes along, if guys like Hart play really well, if Svi can take advantage of minutes as he gets them, that you know the the Lance Stevensons of the world can get squeezed. Yep. Um, but either way, what I thought is great is the Lakers clearly continue to draft and get guys who have a certain type, well-rounded players who can do more than one thing, um, who are you know have value in in a lot of fundamental ways and stuff like that. And appear to have gotten two more guys who can play, and it's the 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 streak that they're on 
is remarkable. And by the way, too, and this is something uh, Pete Zayas, our, our colleague, also at The Athletic. Yes. Uh, you know him on Twitter, Lakers Film Room, or Laker Film Room. Um, he, he noted this, and it was a great observation. The The scouting department is led by Jesse Buss. Jesse oh, Buss yeah, is, is, yes. Jesse Buss is never going to get poached because he doubles as one of the owners of, right. of the Lakers. It's a, it's a, it's a point I had never thought I'd never of, thought about it either. But it's, it's great. Right. I mean, this scouting department, and this scouting department has been good for a while. Mm-hmm. It ain't going anywhere. Yeah. So that's that's a significant development. I also, I just, I wrote about this. Uh, for that matter, Joey Buss ain't going anywhere, and he's no, very good as well. I wrote about this for The Athletic, um, sort of tying the, the Rams, Dodgers, and Lakers together in the sense that all three of these teams, and the Dodgers have been at it for a little bit longer than the Lakers and, and the Rams have, but all three of these teams have an internal consistency now and a stability to what they do and how they do it. Um, and you can see it, I think, most uh, notably in the guys with the Lakers, in the guys that they've drafted, uh, the types of players that they've valued um, to bring into the organization that way. And if that continues, look, I mean, you talk about Jesse Buss obviously not going anywhere. You know, there's no GM job that's going to be better for Rob Pol- than Rob Polink is going to have here. No, this is the already the, he is already in the best. This is, job. this is where you go to get poached, right? If Luke Walton turns out to be the kind you know a Eric Spolster type guy that you want to keep around through the great times, through the lean times, because you just know he's that guy, yeah. Steve Curry, whatever it is. This is Brad where you Stevens. end up if you're poached. He's not going anywhere, right? Magic Johnson might as well own the team because right. as soon as he isn't allowed to own the team anymore, he'll own the team. Or does he own the team still? I get no, confused. He, no, is, he had he to is, sell. He, uh, he had to sell. I don't remember the exact reasons why. But he's but not he, going to work no, for the Knicks. No. You know, he's not going to pull a fill. No. He, so if this group. If he's not too busy being our future mayor or something, I mean, Magic can run this team. If this group is really can sustain this type of success um, and and has restored the you know what the Lakers Back to something what the Lakers, you know, have traditionally been. There's an opportunity for lengthy continuity and stability that will feed the type of success that they're trying to promote. Because the best teams, as you know, Andy, don't have rampant turnover in the front office. They don't have rampant turnover in the coaching staff. You can look at this roster and start to see, hey, I think that guy could be here for a couple years or whatever. This is a really good time to be a fan of, L.A. sports generally, but you know the Lakers are in that group. Uh, really quick, I just did a, a Google search with with Magic selling his shares. That was in 2010, and it was just because so he could do, but by the Dodgers. Well, right? no, no, it was actually you know? because there were he he can uh, you can own multiple teams across different He's, sports. I've tried, I'm trying to remember. No, I mean Stan Kroenke. I mean you you can do this across different yeah. sports. The reason was he was rumored to be interested in becoming an owner in another team. Right, it was the Pistons or the Warriors. But he hasn't bought back in. Like he could do his job and still own the team. I don't actually know. I mean, I would think you. I could. know he, he obviously can do his job and still be an owner of the team because Jesse Buss. Jesse Buss. Yeah, I would Jim figure. Buss. I would figure you could. Right, but it doesn't matter. He's not going anywhere. No. Um, all right. So that's the basketball part. Uh, oh, really quick uh, before we go anywhere, uh, Eric Pincus over at Bleacher Report had um, had an article about a general article about the Lakers. But one of the things I thought was interesting in it is. A Laker exec said to him, uh, with regards to LeBron playing as a small ball center, quote, we may not see this on day one, but the coaching staff is eager to see our version of the Warriors death lineup with Lonzo, Josh Hart, Ingram, Kuzma, and LeBron. I want to watch that. I, oh, I want to watch I that. I want to watch that. Uh, breaking news, Andy. What? Woj bomb. <laughs> Oklahoma City has agreed to trade Carmelo Anthony in a protected 2022 first round pick to Atlanta for por- point guard Dennis Schroeder and Mike Mascala, league source. Yeah, there have been scuttle about that happening. Anthony will be waived and he will join the team of his choice. The Rockets are the front runner. So, um, oh my God, they will be the Lakers. Do not let it be the Lakers. It's not going to be the Lakers. Please don't let it be the Lakers. Um, But the the Thunder do manage to get something massive. But I'm not a Schroeder fan. No. You know who else wasn't? Atlanta. Everyone he played with in Atlanta. No. Even Dwight thought he was difficult. Yeah. Well, um, you know what? Muscala, He's got no room to talk. Muscala will probably, who is not a terrible player, no. will probably be moved to a different team. So, 
Uh, there you go. That's interesting. I mean, look, if you've got Billy Donovan were given, was given permission to talk with Schroeder, and they are enthusiastic about the partnership, according to Woj, OKC wants more speed and another ball handler. And I tell you what, you want to talk about dudes who can get up and down the yeah. court. Russell Westbrook and Dennis Schroeder and guys that I think would be interesting to cover in the same locker room. Russell Westbrook and Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, I would say this. I mean, like, I would want no part of Dennis Schroeder as my starting point guard. And again, I believe the Hawks agreed with that uh, assessment. As your backup, I didn't want him as any part. Right. Of the point as, guard. as your backup, albeit if memory serves, I guess now a bit of a pricey backup. Is he? A, is can he play the two? I mean, how much shooting do you need from him? I don't I, think he's a great shooter. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I don't think he is a great shooter. I will look it up. But if he's your backup, he's only six one. If he, that's tough, yeah. If he's your backup, I'm cool with that. You know, he's just he's not my favorite player. I would want. He's I never would, shot better than thirty five percent. I was going to say he's not a good shooter. I I I just would never want him having a lot of responsibility on my team. But if he, you know, along with Ray Felton, are essentially in charge of running your second unit. I'm fine with that. Westbrook's so big, though. You could probably they'll they'll try to play those guys on the same court. They'll try. It could be fun to watch. I have I have more faith in the theoretical Lakers death lineup than I do in Westbrook and Schroeder playing together. Twenty points that, a game last year. That feels like a lot of irresponsibility on the same. Oh court. sure. <laughs> you can get away with it when you're Russ. I don't know if you can get away with it the Shrews. same way when you're Schroeder. Schroeder's. Yeah. Uh, probably the best player in basketball with an umlaut, right, though? Um, I'd have to take a look. I mean, Wagner doesn't have one, right? I don't believe so. Does nope. Pirtle? No, I don't no. think so. There you go. All right. Uh, at Cam Brothers, send us your all umlaut team, and we will. Uh, we'll, I will happily, again, correct myself if I'm wrong. Um, you want to get into the Dark Knight stuff before yeah, we go? just a few minutes. Tenth uh, anniversary of the Dark Knight is this week. It was yesterday. It was yesterday. Well, that's part of this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot, not surprisingly, a lot of think pieces. Um, hey, Bronny. You want to talk about the Dark Knight? You want to talk some Dark Knight? We're being joined by a uh, sure. super, super producer and, and resident, resident nerd. Are you excited? Apparently, uh, has the new Doctor Who started yet with the lady? Doctor? No, are you upset no, that it's, it's a woman in the yet. role? Are you okay with that? <laughs> I'm fine with it. My, my wife's the one who doesn't like it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I know. Have you uh, had to talk down a lot of the more misogynistic Doctor Who fans who can't handle a woman doctor? It's not like it's not like I'm the, their leader or anything. <laughs> no skirts allowed. <laughs> we were told there would be no girls. Um, a woman with a medical degree? I don't see that happening. It's bad enough that actual women are doctors. Now they are Doctor Who's as well. well I mean, it's good doctor? they got a... Uh, no, that's not how it works. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, Brian. <laughs> okay. I mean, it is good they got a really good actress to like take the yes, role. Yes, she is. Like, like, she was awesome in Broadchurch and and other things she's done for BBC, so... Like I'm, I'm, I'm still looking forward to it. Um, all right, so but Adam, you're here to talk about the Dark Knight. Okay. Tenth um, anniversary, and Andy, you saw an interesting, and I, I read it too, a really interesting feature on the Hollywood from the Hollywood Reporter about the impact of the movie. Yeah, it's just it, it talked about how the movie, you know, set into motion the the superhero craze that we know. You know, the, the, right now you, you barely go two or three months without something coming out either from Marvel or DC and, you know, it goes under the radar, but that was the same year Iron Man came out Mm -hmm. and, you know, it doesn't get the same artistic credit as the dark Knight, but it, it actually was wildly influential. Well, it was, it was really, I mean, it literally got the Marvel machine going and Mm -hmm. it was a, like the dark Knight in its own right. It was, it was a big surprise. You know, you had Robert Downey Jr. You know, pre comeback, John Favreau was not a, you know, a, proven blockbuster director and that, iron man was pretty minor as a character is that the spot and i haven't seen a lot of the uh the dc all the dc movies mm-hmm. um but is that where that split happened where dc movies have to be like really dark and unpleasant See, and the marvel movies are more fun and light and comedy know, it depends on the marvel movie so so it's funny you say on, that on balance yeah so it's funny you say that because iron man like you said kick-started the current MCU, while Christopher Nolan was doing his own thing with uh, Batman Begins and then eventually The Dark Knight and like his trilogy, yeah. DC hadn't really even tried to right. do their own kind of multi-movie universe spanning 
series. Um, and I mean, let's not forget, Marvel had a couple of misfires early on in their run, their run leading up to the first Avengers. Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton was not. A, <laughs> I was going to say which one? Yeah, well, yeah, no, exactly. The one with Ed- Edward Norton wasn't a huge success. That was a terrible. Film. And he he had issues with Marvel, and then they eventually recasted with uh, Mark Ruffalo for Avengers. Uh, Iron Man Two was not very good because it was just a. A setup for Avengers because they introduced all these new characters. They're sort of figuring out how to do the multiverse thing and like you know right. how, how to yeah. do three is setups. actually more fun than two. Oh yeah, no three. And like, even though fans aren't a fan of three for reasons because the Mandarin wasn't really the Mandarin and everything. Although I thought it was a great like it, it, it's like that's something you have to do in movies. It's not going to work. Like with just the comic book nerds and the right. family. It's just, it's just, and... it's a, it's a better movie. Shout out though, yeah. Mickey Rourke is whiplashing too, though. He's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. a Mickey Rourke stan. <laughs> Apparently. You're the one. But, but what's interesting though, that they talked about how, you know, this, this movie, Dark Knight, set this template for superhero movies moving forward. And in a lot of ways, it was an unsustainable template. It was a template that, directors couldn't quite figure out the formula for replicating you know you could argue they shouldn't have even been trying that you know in a lot of ways the dark knight wasn't even so much a super hero movie as it actually was a crime movie yeah so so a lot of what went into that movie is that movie the enjoyment of it lives and dies on the performance of heath ledger yes it's and like it's it's such an iconic turn as the character it's, it overshadows the movie itself. Yeah, it, it does, and like, and 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 the movie's still good. And even though it does overshadow every every other character and actor in that film, it's still an like like I could watch that movie over and over again just for the performances. I mean, like, there's like some of these interesting like facts and everything. Like Heath Ledger was the one who designed his his look right. for the film. The it was his makeup, and then Nolan loved it so much that he told the makeup crew, "You need to make him look like that every day." Well, it's fine. Like they stuck an extra half movie in there that didn't. Yes. it's not like in the Aaron Eckhart, you know, Two Face stuff. It's not that it's bad. It's just that it's well, it's, 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 it's funny. An extra half movie that doesn't. You the Two Face stuff is is actually kind of cued from uh, one of the seminal graphic novel uh, Batman books called The Long Halloween. Which is a two face book. It's kind of a deconstruction of the character. You don't have to tell me that. <laughs> but like, well, no, it, like, it, like you know, if you want some, like, if, if you want to like read that, that'll give you some insight into kind of what they were doing. They, I think the big difference is, like, if you've seen Christopher Nolan's other movies, like you know, Memento and Inception, and even Dunkirk after uh, his Batman movies, the guy is just a technically proficient, mm-hmm. like wizard. I'm uh, he's like so. So he he wanted to do the entire film in IMAX, like film it if film it in native IMAX form. There's only five cameras in the world uh, that can do that. They had all five of them. They broke two of them. <laughs> How much do you think those cameras are worth? Oh, couple million each. It, 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 it's uh, five hundred thousand each. All right, well, but still, you, you like you break two. It's it's like in Dunkirk, um, like he had a fully working um, kind of fighter plane that he crashed, like an antique. But the the part that that is, I think, fascinating about that too is when you talk about like, oh, this was pulled from the the that graphic novel, and like, you know, and they talk about this in the article, Andy, that you mentioned, and we'll tweet it out at Cam Brothers. Like you have choices when you you know what kind of Batman you're going to be, what kind of Batman story you want to tell. You know, th- there's it's not a set thing where you have to like this is how Batman is. There are options, and so you know, Nolan made artistic choices about the type of Batman that he wanted to portray, and it's not you know sa- save the universe. No, and it, and I think that's I think with any comic book character, especially now because they're like any other character in any form of media, it's you know as long as those if if it's an established character that everybody loves, as long as those core tenets of the character are there, you can mess with mm-hmm. kind of the outliers of the character and shape them how you want. Like Christian Bale's Batman is very different from. George Clooney's Batman right. from Val Kilmer's Batman from Different Michael from Keaton's, Keaton's Batman. Batman. But one of the things that I think that one of the Kevin dynamics, Conroy, who's my Batman right. for, for the animated show. One of the but, dynamics I think that works really well in both the Dark Knight and the first Batman, the Keaton Nicholson Batman, is that you do get a sense of how weird all these people are. Yes. Like Batman is weird. The Joker is obviously weird and deranged, but like 
Batman's not a normal sort of honorable guy. He's kind of sociopathic in the same way that a lot of these other guys Well, are. the original Tim Burton Batman was a very kind of pulpy, Dick Tracy-esque thing mm-hmm. because, like, so so Jack Nicholson is the gangster uh, uh, Joker. Yes. Uh, Heath Ledger is the anarchist. Uh, Mark Hamill is the prince uh, from the animated show. Like, right. He's my favorite Joker of all time. If you just listen to how he voices that character, it's just it's almost like as iconic as any other portrayal of the character. You know, even the even the Cesar Romero from the '66 uh, oh, yeah. Batman, like it's just Love campy, guy. over the top, super. Yeah, no, it's it, it like what's good about that character is you can bring different types of archetypes to that sort of kind of mold of a character and like they thankfully they got good actors and who made it their own but one of the things also too that i think is really interesting and kind of singular about you know the dark knight and i guess i guess to maybe an overarching degree the nolan's batmans is the the movie his batman batman i guess batman Batman, uh, batman trilogy like the movie was made in two you know was released in 2008 and, you know, it was around the time of the housing crisis and the recession and, you know, Obama's rise and, you know, the, the Tea Party, which you know, forget the politics of it. The Tea Party, there's a lot of anger behind it. I mean, that, that was a, that was a movement fueled in anger and there was anger about everything going on in the world. And you have and the la- and the inability of the people that you send to public office to solve these problems. And you, you have this setup where both. You know, hero and villain are angry people and, you know, and they're dark people. And I think both of them don't quite know what they want. The Joker is just more honest about, you know, I'm here to watch the world burn. But in, and it was it's political in its own right in a way that you don't see with any of the other, you know, subsequent superhero movies, you know, other than I guess maybe if you want to ascribe certain things to Captain America it, like it's like I'm a huge Captain America fan. I just love that whole kind of man out of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he like he doesn't fit in this world yet. He continues to trudge along and do what he feels is right and everything. And right. like even the Civil War film uh, is not a direct ad- adaptation of the original comic book. There's a lot of different things they changed to fit what they had built within the MCU kind of right. movie continuity. And like and Black Panther ha- is. It's political in, in Black some Panther's ways, very political, but you know, but, but but a lot of the politics of Black Panther are in the in the existence of the movie itself. And the See, way I the feel movie like was you know the way the movie is created and marketed and and delivered as one as unapologetically black. You know, I think there's there's politics in there that's different, Andy, than what you were talking about. Um, but that that theme though of why why are why is batman trying to why is batman trying to save this city at the very least it runs through the stuff with raja ghoul it runs with all the it's it doesn't leave it it's run it runs through all the nolan movies it's also interesting too because that that movie and wally sparked the academy's decision to expand mm-hmm. the best picture field to 10 you know in this effort to try to essentially make the selections more populist which in turn would lead to more stars, in theory, being part of Best Picture movies or even their own nominations, which in turn would lead to more eyeballs because the Oscars has been lacking in audience, you know, over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And it never really happened. You know, I mean, like for every, you know, there's there would be like a Mad Max Fury Road that might not have otherwise, you know, made it or, you know, something like Get Out was a massive hit, but it wasn't meant to be like it wasn't no. it wasn't conceived as a big hit in the making or, you know, Dunkirk had a lot of box office, but it didn't really have that effect. And in part because I think some of the the movies that you would look to see take Dark Knight's place in that in that sort of, you know, commercial meets artistic achievement, it just never really happened. Well, yeah, that's kind of what they tried to do with Logan, like yes. what Fox tried to do with Logan. And you got I, a screenplay nomination. Yeah, no, no, well, yeah, no, and I do like that movie. It's what I think we, we were talking about this on the air yesterday. I think it's, you know, three best... Three best superhero movies. Thing, that's the thing. I don't think it's a superhero movie. You, you it's, can argue. it's more of a yeah. western. Yeah, yeah. Well, no. It's it's it is a character driven um, kind of like like you said western. A little bit of thriller. It has. But if you're those, willing, to, if you're willing to put it in the genre, because it essentially yeah is I, as the character of a guy who fits that 
it's really good. No, yeah, it's it's, it's a really movie. good movie, but that's a movie I only needed to see once. I, I think, by the way, Black Panther will end up getting a Best Picture. There's no question. I, 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 the world yeah. will burn if I, Black Panther doesn't get. Yeah, cause, the best because, because I think, like you said, you like how you said Black Panther is really political. The reason why I can get away with that because it's also a celebration of culture, of people, mm-hmm. of family. It's it was like, a movement. It, yeah, I mean, it's a exactly. Wakanda forever. Like yeah, everyone was going be crazy noted. for that. It's a really fun movie. It's, yes, it's it is. Really Absolutely, good. it's very well done. It's very well acted. Um, it's, it, it doesn't, you know, I, we finally got around to watching it at home. My kids have, you know, they think they watched it four times in like three days. Yeah. Marvel has perfected like their, uh, kind of way of picking out the right people to make these films. Like obviously with, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp is out right now. Originally the first Ant-Man was going to be directed by Edgar Wright. He left due to creative differences. They found Peyton Reed and they kind of they collaborated. And Ant Man was a very enjoyable movie. It's and, really fun. And for what I hear, Ant Man and the Wasp, which I haven't seen, I'd open to see it soon. It's good. Is like is j- just as good. And it's the same director. And he's like, and from what I've heard, he's kind of perfected the aspects of the original movie that make that yeah, character. And it's those a people s- great. slight sidebar. It's a little bit too much of the. You have to stop and explain how. They're going to shrink everyone and make this work and whatever. But the when like when stuff's going on, it's fun. It's, yeah, you know they get it. Yeah, I just think ultimately, like what we've learned from the, these ten years since the Dark Knight and sort of all of its different influences is that like populist movies now, you know, like what serve as box office and commercial hits, they don't mix in the way they used to. Like if you look at the movies that were nominated for Best Picture, like you know, forget just the the seventies, even going back to like. You know, the 80s and, and parts of the 90s, there are, you know, you, you'll you see like a fugitive, you know, get a best picture nomination or, you know, again, going back to like the 70s, things like, you know, Taxi Driver or Chinatown. Like, you know, those are big successes that double as artistic successes and movies just generally speaking don't Titanic, mix it i guess is right in there. yeah but like you just because, Titanic is because the, there's a stigma that's attached to it if you know because best picture was supposed to be a, is supposed to be a prestige thing if too many people like it the academy is going to look at that and this is why it's a good thing that by the way that, the, that academy membership is getting bigger um and more diverse is because it, it the the whole idea was well geez if too many people like it how good could it be that's essentially the 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 the, the ethic that ruled that decision-making process for most of the last, you know, whatever, however many years. I, I think to some degree you're right, but, you know, something like Forrest Gump got things, nominated for Things best. sneak through. I, I think for something, though, like superheroes, it yeah, just that, hasn't broken. But, no, a, and but I don't think it ever will. There's a skepticism. Yeah. And, you know, Forrest yeah, animations Gump, had to fight Forrest it. Gump can yeah. get through, but it also had a director sure. that was very well respected. Yeah. It had a massive star. It was, you know, at the time, it was particularly at the time, I think... It, you can argue about how well it holds up. It was it was a very good movie, very well done. You know, certain types of movies like that could sneak through. Technical achievements like Titanic yeah, could get through. Star Wars got well, nominated in right. seventy seven. Well, yeah, but well, just, and then broadly, what they did with you know yes. the bias was there that it, you know you had to overcome something if people thought your movie was too popular. Yeah, and the one exception is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like they gave Return of the King the Best Picture nom because. They were making up for the previous two not kind of being allowed to the party, so to speak. And so Return of the King just, like, swept everything. Um, I guess the the last question I have for you, Adam, just from the perspective of somebody who's pretty deep in this world, like, what do you – what do you sort of see as the legacy of The Dark Knight? And also, how well do you think it holds up as a movie? It it obviously has its issues in regards to the way the film is edited, um, the way it's kind of put together uh, mechanically just because some of how – uh, things are cut and how scene transitions are done. It's very abrupt. There's not a lot of, you know, it, it feels like there was, there was a lot left on the cutting room floor because he probably filmed a three and a half hour movie and had to get it down to two and a half. Wouldn't shock me. Um, but besides that, like the reason why it still works and will always work is because Nolan, he relied so much on practical effects. I mean, that semi truck flip was it's amazing, just, it's unbelievable. especially in IMAX is just so like, wow, that is just no, awesome. That's a great point. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's simple too. I mean, I'm not saying like, you know, infinity war is great and it's a whole lot of fun, but 
man, there's like that thing is CGI'd up the you know what. Oh, yeah. Completely. And and obviously, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy had its CGI moments, obviously, but they were in doses. Like he tried to keep it as practical as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the same thing where like Star Wars the prequel trilogy got a lot of hate because all CGI, no practical effects. Then Force Awakens comes out, brings back some of that kind of practicality well, and everything. Of creating, Rogue Nate, it's like, part you of know, Rogue that One, grit and, that that the the dirty and you know often depressing feeling of that world in the Dark Knight doesn't work as well if everything is done by a computer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's part of it's part of what makes uh, Fury Road so amazing to watch because you're, you're just like, how did yeah. nobody die? Yeah, make, awesome. I mean, like literally, so how did awesome. nobody die? And it's well, just, and it, well, and the you, simplicity of that movie. Well, like, well, the thing is, and if you look into and the specificity, yeah. well, yeah, well, you would know, and you look into the that movie had a really tough production schedule because they always got shut down because of the weather out there because mm-hmm. of the storms and everything. Probably the only bit of real, true, lot of CGI is that sandstorm in mm-hmm. in in uh, Fury Road. Yeah, I just love it. What, what's the first half of the movie? We're going to go there. What do you guys want to do for the second half? We're going to come back. <laughs> There's your movie. Well, y- it's yeah, so but, much fun. Well, yeah, but it's just it's like it's you know, uh is it um what it's uh, George Miller who did that one? Yes. And Christopher Nolan are similar in the sense that they know technically how to mm-hmm kind of guide and put these things together because they understand the technology they know what it can do what it can't do and that's when you get like something special like that super producer resident nerd and dare i say movie expert oh wow adam bronstein first first time on our podcast appreciate other than chiming in in stuff moving up in the world excellent well i'm not sure this qualifies but thank you Eh, well for me it does so all right we'll see everybody next time